Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro offers premium brain health coaching to clients interested in peak cognitive performance globally, along with uh, we'll be offering targeted neuromodulation services to clients in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area starting in November of 2021. Check out roscoeswetsuitneuro.com to learn more and to book a neuro coaching session today. So now on to the show, we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Cabron Chapik with us on the show. Um, Dr. Chapik is a naturopathic doctor who's been a staff physician at the Amen Clinics since 2013. As a graduate of Bastyr University in the Seattle area, he is an expert in the use of functional and integrative treatments and collaborates extensively with many of the Amen Clinic physicians. He has a special interest in the assessment and treatment of Alzheimer's and dementia, traumatic brain injuries, PTSD, and anxiety disorders. Dr. Chapik is the founding president of the Psychiatric Association of Naturopathic Physicians, an affiliate group of the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. And Dr. Chapik uh, recently came out with a book in 2020 titled Concussion Rescue, a comprehensive program to heal traumatic brain injury. So Dr. Chapik, welcome to the show. Toby, it's great to be here with you. So uh, tell me about like kind of your, your journey into naturopathic medicine. Like what, what kind of originally led you down this route? <laughs> well, if we go way back to when I was a kid, man, I was a sensitive kid. I hated getting sick. And my parents were really interested in health and they would teach me things I could do. And I just, when I was sick, it was like I was dying. Just I had a cold. I felt like I was just about to roll over into the grave. It was like, and my parents would say, okay, Ron, put fix vapor rub on your chest, decrease the congestion, you can breathe. I was like, wow, amazing. Or take some ibuprofen, the pain would go away. And then, but I was really interested in natural medicine and what you could eat to feel better, what you could exercise or do to feel better. And I just felt like a new person if I did these things. And so I started reading more and, and they encouraged me. So I had a lot of it to my folks. And um, then I heard about naturopathic medicine. I met one of the professors at Bastyr University where I went to school. And he told me all about natural medicine. Oh, you're interested in herbs. Let me tell you about this field. And so that's how I got to go to Bastyr. Then I come to start working in the field of mental health at a treatment center. And here I am again, helping people feel better by exercise, nutrition, all of the things that, that I am passionate about, and I still am, that help me feel my best and help, try and help my family and my patients feel their best by what you can do in more of a natural way and treating the cause, looking at, you know, how your, how is your sleep? How's your exercise? Getting all of those optimized, not just, you know, within normal limits. Right. More talking about the, the optimal range, huh? Exactly. Exactly. I'm very much into that as far as everything you do, including lab values. Um, so, yeah. 
question when it comes to uh, you just mentioned lab values, you know, when it comes to to, you know, kind of blood testing, what, uh, you know, when it comes to kind of cognitive performance, are there any key markers that that you always look for when it comes to assessing brain health? Yeah, I, there are. So when, when um, whether it's optimization or healing, uh, you know, we don't want you to be, or anyone, myself or my, any patients to be at the bottom of the range. I always want them to be at the top. I mean, we don't want to be at the bottom of the class in the school. We want to be at the top. So, uh, or at least mid to upper. So like we, when we're doing labs, I'm thinking of three main categories, nutrient deficiencies, uh, toxins, inflammation. Those are the big three. So um, nutrient deficiencies, we're thinking vitamin D, zinc, copper, iron. These are really, these are basic minerals, but they're cofactors in helping things function properly. For focus, you need to have optimal iron levels. Zinc also for dopamine production is critical. Key. There's a lot of studies on um, kids. In fact, there was one on uh, kids in France who were not... Um, who had ADD and they were not responding to their Adderall or Ritalin medications. And they had iron deficiency given iron, they all of a sudden could focus much better. Um, and more often than not, it's not just that that helps someone with attention issues uh, to be able to focus, but it, it really helps if you can optimize that plus nutrition plus some supplements like you put it all together I think that's the secret sauce when it comes to the brain it's hardly ever just one thing that helps it's usually doing several things together that puts the brain into an optimal state to, of functioning awesome well tell me about uh the the book that you recently wrote the concussion concussion rescue um, what what made you want to write a whole book on on talking about traumatic brain injuries and recovery from them? Yeah, so when when I started working at Amen Clinics eight years ago, where we do brain imaging, uh, I would start to see patients who had had obvious brain injuries as part of their psychiatric history, um, but they didn't know about it. So uh, there's one case um, we'll call him Jeremy, and. Uh, when he came to see me when he was 21 years old, jazz drummer in um, locally and really talented, but he's terribly depressed. He had been depressed since he was 14 years old. And he, the only thing that helped him, smoking pot, a drink, he was in a kind of toxic relationship with his girlfriend. Um, his band wasn't going anywhere. Life sucked. And he had tried no, for no lack of trying. He had tried every class of medications. He had seen some excellent therapists, was referred by a great therapist. He had done EMDR, CBT, all these different kinds of therapy. He hadn't done neurofeedback, I don't think, though. Um, but he came to me and we saw when we imaged him that he clearly had damage to the left frontal lobe and the left temporal lobe. And I said, Jeremy, when did you have a brain injury? He said, I had never had a brain injury. What are you talking about? In his intake, there was nothing listed. His mom was with him. And, and typically, brain injuries are very minimized. We don't think about them. Like I said, okay, so at Amen Clinics, we try and ask 10 times if you have ever hit your head, if you ever had a brain injury. People forget. Have you ever fallen out of a tree, fallen off a log, had a car accident, 
dove into a shallow pool. Yeah, it's helpful to ask specifically or to think back if you've ever had any of these things happen, because we tend to brush it off because you don't see the damage in the brain. Have you ever played contact sports? Oh, his mom said, yeah, you did play. You started playing football when you're like 13, 14 years old. You're just still, still this scrawny little kid mashed up against the coach's son. He would get pummeled and have headaches and nausea after practices, just thought he had worked out too hard. Um, but he'd had these many concussions and subconcussive injuries to his brain repeatedly. And um, he had been diagnosed with ADD at the time, um, started having the depression, which progressed to suicidal thoughts every single day. So we started treating him. We gave him not only a change in his medication regimen to stabilize his temporal lobes, but we also gave him nutrients to help him heal his brain, got to stop smoking pot and um, sleep normal hours, not staying up so late at night. And over the next several months, his depression lifted, his suicidal thoughts went away, broke up with a girlfriend, felt confident. And now it's just graduated from the Berkeley School of Music. You know, this has been several years later, um, doing great, you know, no problems. Um, so to me, that opened my eyes that, okay, there's all of these people who have had, who have brain problems, whether it's depression, anxiety, focusing, anger, who may have had brain injuries. And when we see them, we know that they've had brain injuries. And so I got very excited about this. And the Amen Clinics has known this for years. We've been here for 30 years. We have 180,000 scans in our database. And these are functional scans. We're looking at blood flow. We're looking at activity of the brain, which is different than an MRI or a, a X-ray, which is more um, looking at the structure. We're looking at function. How does the brain function? And we can pick up image injury. He, um, so then to the book, I just, my thought is let's put all of the pieces together. Um, people who can't come to Amen Clinics or maybe want to get a head start on their healing, uh, let's put it all together. It's not one thing that heals the brain, it's multiple pieces. And this is something that I've put together over the past eight years working at Amen Clinics. It's like, um, okay, these supplements help, these kinds of dietary intervention help. Um, you got to make sure the structural support is there and that there, there's not impingement on cerebral spinal fluid flow and blood flow in the upper cervical spine. Uh, just, yeah, did a podcast last week on um, upper cervical chiropractic work and the specific techniques to help there. I always like to rule that out. Hyperbaric oxygen, when to put that in. The labs that we talked about earlier, um, optimizing those values. So if you put all of those together, that gives someone the best chance for healing, whether it's been just a few weeks since their injury or it's been years. Uh, it's never too late to actually try and help heal and improve brain function. That's why okay. I wrote the book. What are, what are some of the other, uh, I guess, sort of nutritional or supplemental approaches when it comes to, and it doesn't, I guess, have to just be uh, traumatic brain injuries, but when it comes to just kind of brain wellness altogether, um, mm -hmm. Like what are, what are some of the biggest uh, things that you like to focus on with patients? Yeah, I, I make sure that the basics are covered and then we'll add to them. So most people know about multiple vitamin, fish oil, vitamin D. Um, we could talk about that, but th those are not very sexy at this point. I think those are basics that we just all need to be taking. Um, above, above and beyond that, um, it's each person's a little bit different, but 
Um, I love phosphatidylserine. That's one of my favorites. Phosphat it's spelled with a PH, uh, phosphatide. And there's probably got most research for memory. There is some research on it for ADD. So 300 milligrams phosphatidylserine for memory is wonderfully helpful for many people. Especially if there's memory problems, um, if there has been uh, um, strokes or vascular injuries, uh, and, and even without, alpha-GPC is a great one for increasing um, memory and focus. So it'll help build and make acetylcholine. It's that neurotransmitter that's kind of a spark for um, improving just mental activity and cognition. Um, I love those. Um, uh, I use a lot of amino acids for helping people. I love L-theanine for uh, sort of that calm focus, L-theanine. Uh, it's an amino acid found in green tea. And so I always think about monks meditating with drinking their green tea to stay awake, but not too jittery and just with that right balance of theanine and the caffeine. Um, so yeah, I think those are, I like tyrosine. Tyrosine amino acid precursor to dopamine uh, help with focus. So it's all about dose and timing with or without food, like putting all of the pieces together with people. But those are some of the key, key factors. Um, so like if you're super deficient in zinc or iron, it's going to be hard for your Adderall to work or even to, for your tyrosine to work because you're not making much dopamine in the first place, for example. So it's like getting that figured out and then adding to it um, is really the key. So it sounds like your, your approach is definitely kind of, uh, kind of like watering the soil in the sense of kind of making sure the foundation is, is solid before kind of yeah. going any further with, with like drugs or medications. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good analogy. Watering. I like, I'm going to use that watering. The soil. <laughs> <laughs> what about when it, uh, when it comes to like other kind of brain boosters and you know there's like the whole world of nootropics and and smart drugs do you do you uh dive into that at all or a little bit i i tend to like phenylparacetam um that's probably one i've used the most with alpha gpc as a stack together and uh it can cause i mean it can be very activating i remember i took some myself and I took a little too much, I think. And um, it's like, it's just, my brain wanted to work on problems. And, and, and like, at, I was Friday night, I remember I was trying to go to bed and my brain was like, oh, we should, I sh you should start working on the taxes. It's like January, <laughs> <laughs> something I usually procrastinate. So it's like, let's solve more, more problems to work on. So it's kind of like you get that acetylcholine, that dopamine. It's, a, it's used as a pharmaceutical in Europe I believe for Alzheimer's and, and brain injuries. Um, yeah, there's, there's always different nootropics out there. Um, Phenibut, I had prescribed it a little bit in the past, but always worried me and then it was taken off the market. You've heard of that one, P-H-E-N-I-B-U-T for anxiety. It's definitely a benzo-like, um, had some patients get hooked on that or dependent on that had to taper off. So I'm kind of glad that one got pulled from the market, but yeah. Uh, modafinil, certainly an option for people. 
um, even um, you know the standard medications used properly, like your Adderall, Ritalin, Stratera, things like that, can be useful. But um, yeah, I try to use. We go from least toxic, least toxic, most effective. So we don't want to just give fish oil and stop there. If that's not enough for someone, we we want to help improve function further and keep trying other things. And you have to you can you can then go up the chain. That's that tends to be my approach. Let's uh, let's talk a little more about um, kind of in in terms of assessment with with like spec scans. Um, mm -hmm. Can you kind of introduce like kind of what what a spec scan is and and kind of why it uh, you know why it's used so much in, in your practice to, mm -hmm. to kind of work on figuring out kind of what's going on with the brain. Yeah. So uh, spec imaging is a type of brain imaging that looks at blood flow. And it's essentially looking at three things. What's too active, we can see what's underactive, and we can see patterns of asymmetry that can look like damage. And we can also see toxicity, inflammation. These are things that are, that are not, the MRI is not sensitive enough to pick up. Uh, MRI is useful for other, certainly other purposes, ruling out tumors, ruling out brain bleeds, um, microvascular disease, so vasculature problems. Um, so that's essentially why we use SPECT imaging, just because it's so sensitive at picking up subtle changes and, and tells us, gives us more information. I think that's why Dr. Amos started doing this 30 years ago and said, in psychiatry, mental health, brain health, uh, why aren't we looking at the brain? So typically in other fields, uh, cardiology, for example, if someone has chest pain, you do an EKG. You check their blood pressure, you check, listen to their heart. Uh, when someone has depression or anxiety or focusing problems, we simply just listen to them typically. And then let's try this, let's try this. Let's start throwing meds at, at the person. And sometimes they work and sometimes they have horrible consequences and people get, get worse or... So we don't wanna do harm. And so why not add additional data points Let's at least do some labs. Let's check your brain. Let's see what's going on. It does the imaging that we do. Uh, it's very thorough, but it doesn't tell us everything. You know, it doesn't tell us, um, doesn't show us all the brain regions, especially if they're not really that hot. It's like we can't see the pituitary gland, which is your master hormone gland. Um, but we can do lab tests to rule out pituitary deficiency, which is quite common in brain injury, for example. So that's where we'll do labs with, with imaging but the imaging shows us the main brain regions, especially like the frontal lobe, which is behind the forehead involved in focus and concentration, or the temporal lobes, which is memory, uh, mood stability, sensory processing, um, cerebellum. Half the brain's neurons are packed in this little cerebellum, which helps not only with balance, but also processing speed. And it's kind of like, that's like RAM in a computer. You want to have lots of good processing speed in your brain. So. Part of our assessment is looking at someone's brain, collecting data. We don't diagnose anything based on imaging. It's always with history, the two together. When it comes to like brain blood flow, just from you know everything we know from from SPECT imaging uh, and other research, like what are what are some of the biggest things that that impact brain blood flow just 
uh, kind of throughout our lives, whether that be, you know, exercise or sleep or nutrition, or do all of these things kind of come into play when it, when we're talking about blood flow to the brain? Great question. Uh, well, certainly some of the things you mentioned do, uh, like if someone's completely sleep deprived, that will, they'll look, their brain will almost look toxic. It'll look like very deficient overall. And certainly the frontal lobes, uh, and then, um, toxicity will affect the brain. So what I mean by that is some, someone smoking a lot of cigarettes or exposed to mold certainly will create a toxic pattern, decrease blood flow to the brain. Um, two, two of the biggies that I see a lot uh, are high blood sugar and high blood pressure. And that will really damage the tiny vessels, the capillaries that supply the neurons. And if those little capillaries are damaged, the neurons die. And otherwise neurons live for a very long time. They don't die very easily, but if you, if they lose their blood supply, they will, they will die very quickly. So uh, high blood sugar, high blood pressure, uh, toxicity, uh, and simply having um, uh, deficiencies. So not having enough of something around, whether it's uh, not exercising enough, you'll lose neurons. If you don't have enough vitamin D, zinc, and iron, uh, neurons are not healthy. If you don't have enough hormones, so testosterone, growth hormone, like neurons will die. So it, the brain's very fragile and it's very sensitive in that way. And we know that is the case from the work of Dr. Del Bredesen, neurologist out of UCLA and his work with Alzheimer's that really the brain needs all of those things. Otherwise the switch gets flipped, the APP gene and will signal programmatic cell death. If there is not you know, sufficient nutrients, the brain gets exercised with new learning and thinking and those, that's where the brain games come in. Um, exercise, nutrition, eating is, is really key. I mean, our brains use 20 to 30% of calories in the diet just to the brain you know, quarter of your plate just to the brain. So uh, it's amazing how hungry the brain is and it may not be using uh, or getting, getting fuel. It'll get too much sugar or hypoglycemia is an issue, not eating frequently enough. So I'll often recommend like a ketogenic diet or intermittent fasting, uh, or at the very least eating protein at every meal to keep blood sugar very stable because otherwise you're not fueling your brain, that equals mood instability, poor focus. Um, it's really critical. Is there a, a specific type of diet that you find tends to, to be best for brain performance or is it, uh, is it individualized kind of based on, on each person's unique needs? I was just thinking about this yesterday, Toby. I was thinking about, um, how there are different uh, gurus that come out with, oh, this is the diet. And oh, we need to be vegan now. No, we need to be carnivores. Like what the heck, um, what are people supposed to do? And um, especially if it comes to weight loss or weight gain, like if people need to gain weight, it's like, what do you do? It's, I think it's very individualized. And, and I would like to see a, a book or, or a resource where it's helping people figure out what is that secret sauce for them? Because for example, weight loss, um, the things that I've seen really help the most, if I, if I listen to people who have struggled over the years with weight loss and tried hundreds of different diets, um, they figured out some little thing that they can do for a long time 
and that helps them the most. It, it's like, because our bodies don't like big changes and they, psychologically, we can't make big changes either. And so it's like over the course of years, if you brush your teeth every day, your teeth are gonna stay healthy, but if you don't, they're gonna decay and fall out, but that's not gonna happen over weeks. It's kind of like that with weight loss. It's the small changes that you make over the course of years are what, is what really makes the biggest difference. So I think uh, some people do great on keto and some people do well on like more of a vegetarian, low, lower protein, lower fat diet. And it's like, okay, I think it's very individualized, really. I, I think there are some principles that if you can dial in the protein, I always start with that and, and how much you need and how often enough. You're going to do intermittent fast, you're going to eat throughout the day. And how much do you need? And kind of dialing that in. I think we have higher need of protein under, under times of stress. Um, I know when I'm on vacation, I don't need as much protein as when I'm working and um, busy all week. You know, and then I need, I feel better if I eat some easily digestible, grass-fed, free-range, wild animal protein. But I can almost be vegetarian when I'm on vacation with lower stress. I don't need to eat as much. Don't, but if I know I don't eat protein every meal when I'm working, I'll get foggy and my energy drops. So I think that makes a difference too. Protein at each meal, vegetables, like lots of vegetables is really key. Healthy oils and fats. Um, I think that's pretty much true for everyone, but then, then there's some nuance and some subtlety, subtle changes that can make a big difference for people beyond that. And I think that's individualized. And you mentioned like with kind of grass fed, animal protein, like tell me about kind of the, the differences between, you know, say, you know, a grass fed hamburger, uh, you know, that, that came from a really healthy animal versus, you know, getting a hot dog at, at 7-Eleven, like <laughs> yeah. when it comes to, you know, the brain and, and nutrition, like what, uh, why does the type of the meat matter? That's a good question. Well, part of it is that is the type of oils that, that are actually in the meat. So, um, for example, grass-fed beef is going to have higher levels of omega-3, which we typically think about in salmon and, and things like that. It'll actually have some omega, more omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. Omega-6 is essential, but we tend to get lots of it because that's from grains. And so if you feed the, the animal lots of grains, they'll have high 6 and very low 3. With the grass and like wild game, they'll have lots of 3 and, and not as much six or at least it's more balanced. So it's kind of the ratio of fats. And then, so there's, that's, that's one, that's one issue. The other is the toxicity. So what the animals are fed, if it's very clean versus they get fed um, lots of different chemicals and, and the animals are not healthy, they're going to actually store up toxins in, in themselves, whether it's chemicals and uh, in their food, or they're getting more antibiotics and things like that. Um, so I'd, I'd say it's both a matter of omegas and fats and then toxins in actually in the end, like farm-raised fish, farm-raised salmon and, and stuff. That's like one of the most toxic things. It has much higher levels of um, DDT even than regular wild salmon. So it's almost becomes a toxic food in a way. What about when it comes to like, you, I think you alluded to intermittent fasting and, and also mm -hmm. kind of longer, uh, kind of multi-day fast. What, what's your opinion on each of those? 
say when it comes yeah. to brain health? I think it, um, intermittent fasting, I'm going to go with the fad and, and say, yes, intermittent fasting is, is good and healthy for most people. Um, I would say some people don't, don't do well with it still though, uh, especially, <clears throat> I don't want to stereotype, but oftentimes um, some women will have more difficulty with keto and intermittent fasting. That's just what I've seen. Uh, and maybe it's me, maybe I'm not prescribing it in the right way, but I think that, um, I do think that is an issue, intermittent fasting for women. But in general, it's good because you're giving the body a break and allowing processes to happen that take a lot of energy when you're eating food and just especially insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance, which is a major cause of brain problems, um, really gets reset with intermittent fasting. I've, I've seen a number of patients with memory problems, early dementia, Alzheimer's who are, they're not doing well, and then they do intermittent fasting and, and they'll get improvement in brain function. And, and that's really one of the keys. If we're working on someone who has memory problems, until they, if they need to lose weight and they're not losing weight, they will continue to have those memory problems until they, until they start losing that weight a little bit and get on the right kind of diet for them. They're still going to have those memory problems. That's one of just a rule of thumb. So yeah, I do. I, I'm a fan of intermittent fasting, multi-day fasting. For some people, it's, it's amazing. Like I've had a number of patients where um, they felt the best, clearest, sharpest when they weren't eating, including women. Certainly, I remember a couple in particular. Um, but not for everyone. Um, some people just their bodies uh, don't get into ketosis. I remember one woman who had a lot of difficulty with ketogenic diet, but kept trying it. And then come to find out she was anemic and had very low iron. And once we treated that, then, then she was fine. So I do recommend before making major dietary changes, see your doctor, have some basic nutrient levels checked, check your blood work, uh, make sure you don't have some major thyroid issues. Some people with thyroid issues, it, it can make their thyroid worse, like they'll go the wrong direction. But for that, I, you know, people should have iodine. Um, you should have plenty of aerobic exercise, exposure to cold. Sort of the Wim Hof, Iceman, cold immersion type therapy can be very helpful at actually enhancing thyroid function, uh, keeping that metabolism going. So, um, yeah. Great. What about uh, Dr. Chopik when it comes to, you know, looking ahead uh, kind of with the future of, you know, say naturopathic medicine and, and psychiatry being integrated into that? Uh, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you're most excited about as far as, you know, maybe emerging therapies or technologies and whatnot kind of going forward? Yeah, no, this is an exciting field. And um, I was the first naturopathic doctor to be hired at Amen Clinics. And now we have four total. So there, just in the past few years, we've hired a few more because there's more with psychiatric experience and training. So I think that um, there's a real interest, and that's why I started the psychiatric uh, um, organization of naturopathic physicians, because there's a huge need. Conventional psychiatry has its place, uh, long history, and um, very well equipped to help severe psychiatric issues. Uh, but there's many people who doesn't work for them, or they, they want to try something else, they, they, and then, so how do you know, can you just go try natural stuff? Do you need meds? Where, where do people fall? And so that's where I think we need to help direct 
and say, yeah, you do need to be on medication right now. Um, or, hey, let's try this. Let's try rhodiola. Let's try um, uh, saffron before we go to Prozac, for example, and Paxlovid. You're not suicidal. Um, we know these meds have side effects. Let's try this first and see how you do. And at the same time, conventional psychiatrists, many of them are getting trained in natural medicine and, and functional medicine and wanting to learn more. And so I love that to have that dialogue. And all the Amen Clinic doctors, of course, we have like, I've got 20 to 25 colleagues that I can collaborate with and they'll ask me questions, I'll ask them questions. It's a wonderful environment to help patients. Um, and on the horizon, I mean, there's fascinating research in the field of, um, kind of controversial, but like psychedelic uh, medicines, mushrooms, LSD, MDMA. Um, uh, when I worked at the treatment center, we used a lot of ketamine, not a lot, but we used some ketamine. And I was doing nutritional IVs and it was very new. This was like 10 years ago. And ketamine is an FDA approved treatment for treatment resistant depression. And the psychiatrist I was working with said, hey, you're doing nutritional IVs. Let's try some ketamine IVs and see if we can help these people. Dramatic results, like people would feel so much better who had been suffering for years, just like that. And um, so, you know, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD. Uh, I think this is really a new, interesting, intriguing area of medicine. Um, saffron, this has come up as the past few years. It's been around for thousands of years as a spice and used in the Middle East for um, as an antidepressant and mood lifter. And now there's research and science. I think that's really needed. I love having the research and science to back it up and say, yes, this is a good treatment. Let's use it. I've seen tremendous results in the past you know, year using more saffron um, for people. So there's always something either, something that's been around that we hadn't thought about using or these other sort of new intriguing therapies, ketamine and TMS. And I haven't mentioned neurofeedback, but I do think brain training and um, QEEG and, and neurofeedback is very, very useful piece, especially when it comes to uh, non-prescription alternatives to uh, helping people focus, calming anxiety, uh, refer a lot for neurofeedback, find it really, really helpful. And part of that brain healing program, like first we want to reconnect the dots, reconnect the wires, make sure we've got the basics, we've watered the soil, and then we want to train the brain and really strengthen it with that's neurofeedback. That's kind of how I think about it. And one of the other uh, one of the other therapies or treatment modalities that you you briefly mentioned, I think before was hyperbaric mm -hmm. oxygen. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of elaborate a little more on that and, and what that does for the brain? Yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting, it really enhances um, oxygenation. So hyperbaric oxygen, if you think about a chamber, like a diver would go into after they had the bends, they came up too quickly, you need to decompress them in the oxygen tank. Um, this is what we're talking about, a pressurized chamber where someone's breathing close to 100% oxygen. And it's really the pressure that's key and pushes oxygen to the deeper structures that haven't healed. And so for things like strokes um, and carbon monoxide poisoning, it's FDA approved. Uh, for things like, hyper, like traumatic brain injury, it's not. But if I had a concussion, 
that's the first place I'm going to go is into a hyperbaric chamber. Uh, and I think if I only had one treatment for uh, brain injury, I would use hyperbaric oxygen. Now, it'll enhance overall body function. You know, a lot of people will go in and report my energy was better. I just felt more vital. Uh, my libido was up after I went in the hyperbaric chamber. It's just like kind of overall enhancement of, of bodily function because it's body's more oxygenized. It turns on ATP. There's um, antioxidant mechanisms that, that are turned on. So it's a great therapy. T typically, you go in for a series of treatments like every day for several weeks, you know, 20 to 40 sessions. So the more, the better for many of these chronic conditions like TBI. Um, but for more sort of depression and mood enhancement, people will go in for like 20 sessions, something like that. When it comes to say like other sort of neurotherapy uh, modalities, you know, a couple that, that come to mind, uh, you know, being say like, like PEMF therapy, mm. is that one that you uh, focus on at all? I don't know a lot about PEMF. I've had a number of patients who have found it really useful. And I actually know there's a lot of research on it. I just haven't used it much. Fair uh, enough. Yeah. The other one I was going to ask you about, uh, like brain photobiomodulation. Hmm. Do you do you look at the research on that at all? Like the light therapy. Light therapy, right? Uh, I've used some, like the Vilight, uh, for people with with memory problems and dementia. Um, I think it's a useful thing after TBI to put light on the neck and help infuse the, the brain with, with light. Um, and I'll refer for chiropractors that do this usually is who, who ends up having it. Uh, I, I would like to know more about it. And I, it seems so safe and doable, especially not, not the late, there's laser therapy. It's just a little more intense, but cold laser. Uh, but yeah, I think that that is another, certainly a growing field that uh, we should be using more this, this treatment. Awesome. Well, uh, Dr. Traffic, we're coming up onto the end of the show, but uh, before we wrap up, um, you know, any, anything, any uh, kind of closing thoughts when it comes to, you know, anything we've discussed today or just naturopathic medicine, psychiatry um, in general? Well, I'm, I'm grateful you're doing this show and having this conversation because uh, when it comes to our brain, I mean, we don't think about our brain very often. Maybe you do. I know you do. <laughs> the brain is key in all that we do. And if it doesn't work well, then how are we supposed to function? Well, I mean, it's, it's, that's why I love to help people. If I can help enhance their brain function, I can help either help them heal, help them not feel depressed, or help them you know, do well in their job or their school or in their life. Um, so I, I'm very excited about brain health. It's so uh, complicated, but simple. And at the same time, it's, it's fascinating. And it's never too late, no matter how old or young you are, how injured you are, it's never too late to try and heal the brain or improve brain function. Uh, so I would like to leave your listeners with that, that it's never too late to try and. Are there, uh, are there just like, say a few tips for the, the listener, you know, some, something actionable, that they could just kind of uh, start right away to, to kind of improve their brain health? The, the one thing that people can do if they don't do anything else is to make better decisions in their lives. And 
it really comes down to the decisions that we make, you know, uh, and quoting Dr. Amen on this, if, is this good for my brain or bad for my brain? You know, is, is, is this drink of water good for my brain? Yes. Is this drink of alcohol good for my brain? No. You know, and um, so if you go through your day, you've got all these decision points to make, which will either lead you closer to your goals, hopefully of better brain health or further away from it. So I'd say that's actually, we know a lot of this already uh, inherently, what is good and bad for us. But we, if we think about, is this good for my brain or bad for me, it helps us keep our brain in mind and what we're headed towards. Awesome. Well, Dr. Chapik, if uh, people want to, uh, you know, get in touch with you or find out more about your practice, like where would you direct them to? I would say Google Amen Clinics Northwest. That's where my practice is in Bellevue, Washington. And there's 10 Amen Clinics all around the country in different parts, usually just around the outsides right now. We're going to actually open a clinic in Florida. Um, and uh, you can read, grab the book at Concussion or Amazon book is Concussion Rescue. Uh, there's also an audible version. There's also a course that I, that I did based on the book. So people want to watch and get a little more in depth. Uh, it's a concussion rescue course as well. Very cool. Well, for those listeners who enjoyed the show, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel where Ross goes wetsuit. And you can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else that audio podcasts are available. Um, and if you guys did enjoy the show, I'd really uh, appreciate if you guys could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Um, and Dr. Chapik, again, I wanted to thank you so much for your, uh, for your time today and sharing all of your expertise. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. Same here, Toby. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure.